0: Once upon a time, there was a woman who, for years, had been searching for her true love and finally met her knight in shining armor. He worked on the fourth floor of the office building, and she worked on the third floor, and it was love at first elevator ride. One night before heading out on a date, he came by her office as she was wrapping up her day, and he began to scan the books on her shelf in her office. And he immediately grabbed one of the books and asked her what she thought of the book. She said, well, I bought it a few years ago because it looked interesting, but I never finished the first chapter. It just didn't capture my attention. And with sadness on his face, he replied, well, that's too bad because I wrote that book. (laughs) That night, she took the book home. And yes, you guessed it. She read the book cover to cover and found it impossible to put down. What had changed? Well, she had fallen in love with the author. I really believe that if you're going to have an effective Christian life, you must first fall in love with the author of your faith. Last week, we we looked at this new you, and I know I I threw a lot of stuff at you rapid fire. I'm going to try to bring it all together today, Lord willing. But we saw that what the author of our faith did for us was to bring us into a new life that in fact is not this idea of us remaking ourselves. And we saw the allegory of uh, the fact that we are born uh, allegorically like Isaac, not like Ishmael. We don't make this Christian life work somehow. We don't make our salvation happen somehow. And then we saw the illustration of uh, that glove still, that, that baseball glove still being uh, this outer shell, this this us, but yet allowing God, that new man that God gave us, to power our lives. And to put you at ease, my brother and I will not be playing catch today, we Got through that barely, unharmed last week, so we will not try that again today, but hopefully you got the example. We saw that grace brought us freedom, not to sin, but to serve. And if you'll notice in your first uh, set of verses there, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and Peter looking at all of these truths that we, that we have, and and in fact was speaking to an audience in particular that was scattered all over the Roman Empire and some were suffering and some were feeling like maybe this Christian life isn't what it's cracked up to be and I'm not so sure this is gonna work. Based on all the truths that we looked at last week and, and so many other important truths, Peter says this, wherefore, because grace brought you this freedom and this liberty in Christ and this this new you that you can now Uh, uh, yield to, he says, wherefore, let's lay aside all the malice and and all the guile and all the hypocrisies and all the envies and all the evil speakings. And then he says, and as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So instead of trying to empower our own lives and instead of trying to somehow work our way to heaven, we know it's by grace And we know that we're going to grow by grace, but we do have a responsibility. We do have a new life, and it's growing in Christ. You see, God made the new you into something so incredibly special. But I want to say this up front because it's a fact. Today's truth that we're going to talk about, it it literally flies in the face of pretty much every Organized religious system in the world. It 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 true biblical Christianity makes a claim, the Bible makes a claim about true Christianity. And we're gonna talk about this today, and it's in First Peter chapter two, verse nine. Let's look at it. This is you. If you're a child of God, you've you've trusted Christ as your Savior. This is written to you, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. That's you. Everything I'm reading right now, that's you. This is what God made the new you all about, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. In one simple verse, you get to see what God made the new you all about, and as well, you see the mission that you and I have been given by God. Let's talk about these words, because these are really important words, and if you happen to notice, these are Hebrew scripture words. These aren't normally what you would expect to see in, in the New Testament. A chosen generation, who is this? I thought that that was, that was only Israel. Well, in this setting, in the New Testament age, the chosen generation is people of all people groups that have trusted Christ as your Savior. Jew, Gentile, bond free, male, female, doesn't matter. This is the chosen generation through spiritual birth. It says it's a holy, that you're a holy nation. You, sitting right here, this this Sunday morning, you are a part of a holy nation. That is void of pollution. A nation that should, should, should stay away from the sin and the sinful attachments of this world. Then there's this one, and this always catches people. It says, you're a peculiar people. And none of God's children said amen. Because we're like, wait, wait, what? And, and by the way, none of these None of these characteristics, none of these entities, were given to you, or, or or wait for you to ask for them. They are what God made the new you. This is who you are. Now let's let's define peculiar, okay? Because uh, it, it does not mean weird. And and in today's day and age, you know, there's a lot of weird. I, thankfully, I, I have two. Uh, adult sons that that help me know what not to wear, and when I say help me, it's usually just like, "Dad, Dad, stop wearing that." It's not really help. It's not really done lovingly, but it's you know. But the other day, I saw a TV commercial for these uh, uh, pants. The the this, this these new new pants. They're super comfortable, but then I noticed that that. Because I'm, I'm pretty up on these brands. You know, I know my stuff. And I, I saw the brand, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I've seen my wife have some clothes with that same brand. You've all heard of it. It's, it's Lulamon. So I was telling my kids, I'm like, you know what? Those pants look really comfortable. But I just don't know that I can wear Lulamon pants when I know mom's got the same brand pants. They're like, Dad, it's not Lulamon. It's Lululemon. I'm like, there's no way I'm wearing pants called Lululemon. And if you, you men here are wearing those, don't tell me. Or turn in your man cart on the way out. I don't care how comfortable they are. We're not supposed to be weird. If you wear those and they're comfortable, let me know, okay? Maybe I can scratch off the brand. <laughs> All right, so so here's the thing. We're not supposed to be weirdos. What this peculiar people means is, is we're supposed to reflect who we are the possession of. We are the possession of our Savior, he bought us with the price of his blood. Now, let me, let, me, let me just clear up any confusion. When I say that he purchased us or that, that, that I'm a possession of him, I don't want you to think of this in a way of like, well, he, he owns me. I got no choice. No, 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 no. I want you to picture me and you in the slavery of sin with no choice, no option, lost and heading to hell. And the Savior, who did no wrong, said, I will take on Paul Julian's sin and I will buy him freedom. That's who possesses me. Praise God he possesses me. So do not think of this as a negative. It is not a negative. It is a quadruple positive. He bought you out of slavery. That's who possesses us and my life should reflect that I am his possession. Then it says this, royal priesthood. And this is what we're gonna focus on today. We are God's heavenly representatives on earth with power and eternal riches. And as I said earlier, this is what God made the new you when you trusted Christ as your savior. You did not choose this, he chose it. When the Bible says that you were elect unto a certain thing and chosen unto a certain thing, it did not mean that God chose you to be saved and someone else to be lost. It meant that God chose an unbelievable, amazing potential and priesthood for you when you trusted Christ. It's all these unbelievable things that are available. Now, this word priest has to be understood. It's only going to make sense if you understand the office and the role of a priest, now, if you look up on your phone, and I think we have a we have this picture, uh, Webster's definition of priest. Do we have that? There it is. Someone who is authorized to perform the sacred rites of a religion, especially as a, a mediatory agent between humans and God. And then it gives us specifically uh, m- many of the religions that you would understand that would call their uh, pastors or whatever priests, okay? But I want you to notice something. Someone who is authorized. It's an interesting definition. And by the way, I don't don't disagree with the the definition. I think that actually is a good definition. The part I disagree with is the lower part because that's where this application uh, has gone wrong. And I'm not gonna focus on that today. I'm not picking on those religious uh, denominations today, but I want you as a believer to understand that you are a priest, You are a priest, a priest provided access, a priest provided access to God. The word priest appears over 700 times in the Old Testament or Hebrew scriptures. They provided access while also guarding the divine process of access to God. Now, I need to give you the big picture. Otherwise, this isn't gonna make sense. I hope you understand in general, most people do when they think of a priest. Uh, when I know I'm talking to someone with a Catholic background and they know I'm a pastor and um, they call me Father Paul uh, or something like that, you know, then I kind of know what their background is. And that's okay, that's okay. Uh, I, I get it. But I want you to understand the big picture because if you don't understand what the priest is all about, you're not gonna understand who you are and what you have in Christ. So the big picture is this, God created us for his glory, for his purposes, but he also created us to have this wonderful, meaningful, close relationship with him. It started out really good. It just only lasted for a really short time in the Garden of Eden, but man, while it lasted, There was this close, uninhibited, void of sin relationship with God. And man walked with him. And as you know, that didn't last very long. And so they were removed from the garden. And then what was the remedy? The remedy was an animal that was innocent had to be killed. The blood of an innocent animal had to be killed to show the picture that without the shedding of blood, there is no payment for sin. Did that in and of itself pay for Adam and Eve's sin? No, it was a representation of it. And so you get the idea that in order to try to restore that relationship, restore that fellowship, there had to be a sacrifice And then we go on to uh, a little bit further when when, uh, before the law, and I I won't give you all these verses, but you can see it in scripture, Noah, Job, Jacob, you'll see these different ones where God established the father of the family or sometimes the firstborn of the family to be the priest of the family. And so then that priest would offer a sacrifice on behalf of the family to keep the fellowship, keep the restoration of that communion with God. Because that's what God wants. That's what God has always wanted, but sin ruined it. We, we ruined it with our sin. Then as you go on through the Old Testament, you see that when the law is established, when God gave Moses the law, right, you see this wording in Exodus 19. He said that I'm gonna make you, I wanna make you a kingdom of priests. So now not just the fathers of the family are going to to act on God's behalf as that go-between to keep that fellowship, to, 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 to set that example before the family that, that when we have sin, there has to be a payment in order to stay in fellowship with God. We've got to deal with sin. That, that, that truth was hammered into those people. It's a part of who God is. You can't have fellowship with a holy God while ignoring sin. It, it, it's impossible. Well, that didn't last long because we had the, the golden calf incident. So then it became uh, of Aaron and his sons, or the Aaronic priesthood, the tribe of Levi, right? And, and there was a dispute at some point when some of the other people of Israel said, well, who does he think he is? Who does Aaron and his family think he is? We can all be priests if we want to be priests. So they set their staffs or their rods down the night before, and when they came in the next morning, guess what Aaron's rod had on it? Blossoms and buds and almonds were growing. Cases settled. That's God's man. But there were still people that rebelled. And long story short, the earth opened up. They fell in. The earth swallowed them up. God dealt with them. You say, well, that seems kind of harsh. God has a very specific way of how he is going to assign priesthood. It is not willy-nilly. It is not just however you want to do it. And then... That, of course, failed as well. Rather than being God's witness to the world, Israel imitated the heathen nations around them and fell into the sin of idolatry. And so then we come to the final high priest, Jesus, our Savior. You see, let me remind you what the big picture is. Jesus, our Savior, came and did something for us to restore once and for all that relationship that fellowship, that closeness that God wants to have with us. And Jesus was not a priest of Levi. It uses the illustration of that he was like Melchizedek. We won't go into all the details of that, but this was someone with no beginning and no end. And he fulfilled it. Not only was the high priest, he was the sacrifice himself. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Hebrews describes all of this. So looking in Hebrews chapter nine, we'll just look at a little bit of this. Hebrews 9, 11 and 14 through 14. Hebrews 9, 11 through 14. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. You see, they understood the sacrificial system. It was a picture of faith in who the Messiah was and that he was coming to pay for their sins. Sadly, that got lost, uh, in translation and, and, and in the, in their lives. And they were looking for a conquering Messiah rather than a suffering Messiah. Look at verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. You see, only the high priest could go into the holy of holies once a year. Right for that day of atonement where he would take the blood in and put it upon the altar as a sacrifice to God to say on behalf of the people, the priest is bringing a sacrifice, a priest that was approved of God. Because you see, if someone that is offering a sacrifice is not declared capable or, or have the right credentials of the one accepting the sacrifice, the sacrifice doesn't count. You are a priest. Do you see what God has made you? Do you see what God has given you? Verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Dead works is all we have before we are redeemed. Before our sins are paid, all we have to offer God are dead works. And now we can serve with living works to a living God. Okay, so I'm hoping you have a general idea of what this priesthood is all about and what it means to be a priest. And I also hope you understand this desire of God to want to have a relationship with you and with all of his believers. So as a new believer, as a believer that is a part of this priesthood, we're gonna look at four aspects of that priesthood. And the first one is this, a new code of conduct. Look at 1 Peter 2.11. 1 Peter 2.11 says this, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers... And pilgrims abstain from from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. So now let me just go back one half step. Remember, we didn't save ourselves. We didn't do all these good things to somehow earn his favor. We don't grow in Christ. We don't serve as a priest. Somehow through our own power, or to maintain or keep our priesthood. You say, but I, I thought that, that only pastors have this certain access, or only the priests in certain churches have this certain access. Wrong. Wrong. We're gonna see in just a minute, all believers have access. All believers can go to their heavenly father. But this says something important. Our code of conduct as priests of God are to be abstaining from fleshly lusts. Now, here's what's interesting. You could, you could fill in the blank with a whole lot of things that this would apply to, and you would probably be correct. I just want to focus on one quick one, and that's this. When I see fleshly lusts here, and the fact that it wars against the soul, that tells me that there is something in this world That is easy to fall into, easy to buy into, easy to get sucked into, that is actually a detriment to your soul. That's how I see this. And so I put it this way. Abstain from the shallow, earthly thinking. Man, it is all around us. What do you make? What do you drive? What does your house look like? What brand of clothes you wear? It could be Lulamon. I don't know. Right? (laughs) It's 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 what I would call the fit the mold life. You gotta fit the mold. This is what everybody says is good. This is what everybody says is a success. This is what everybody says is cool. This is what everybody says is where it's at. And what this is saying is you are a stranger and a pilgrim in a world that you do not belong to. Don't get sucked in to the fleshly lusts or that fit the mold life because it will actually war against your soul. And by the way, I've seen it bring about fear, emptiness, and boy, oh boy, watching people chase shadows is not a pleasant thing. And boy, do they chase them. Something they will never, ever actually get to. One of the uh, scholars uh, said this about the priesthood of the believers. He said in the Old Testament period, God's people had a priesthood. But today, God's people are a priesthood. Big difference. Let's look at the new sacrifices because certainly we did not bring in a lamb or any bloodshed. No bloodshed was happening in the house of the Lord today. Amen. So we're not bringing in the same sacrifices, but but we're priests and we do bring sacrifices to our God. First one is this. It's found in Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is a living sacrifice, a, living, a, a way of living holy with God's will as the blueprint. Look at verse uh, 1 and 2 of Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that's, that's you. If you've trusted Christ, you're a priest. You're a royal priest. By the mercies of God, that you present what? Here comes your sacrifice. What do you present? Your body as a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is the sacrifice that we get to make. That we get to make. This is not a drudgery. This is not a, oh man, I can't believe that I have to give my life as a living sacrifice to the Lord. No, it's a privilege. It's a joy. How, well, how is that possible? Because you and I were appointed As the access, the go-between, we have automatic, instant access to the throne of God, and we get to every day, every minute, every hour, as often as we make good decisions, bring a sacrifice of our life to him. I cannot think of a better life. I don't care if you're you're in full-time ministry or in a secular job. It doesn't matter makes no difference to God. Your, your life should be offering a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to him. You say, well, what if my boss doesn't appreciate me? Well, what if my coworkers don't treat me good? What if What if no one understands or if someone gossips about me or someone does this or something happens unfair in my life? It doesn't matter, you're still a priest. Deal with it, work through it, especially if it's between believers. But my friend, this trumps everything. This overrides everything. Because you're a priest, and you get to go literally right into the throne room of God and say, here's what I get to do for you today. These are the sacrifices we get to make. Look at Hebrews 13. This is the praise, the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving by him, Jesus, our high priest. Therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that it is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. Can I put it really bluntly? You allow me to do that this morning? Moaning, complaining, being the critic, it, it's, it's not an acceptable sacrifice. The acceptable sacrifice of continual praises is, is, regardless of what I'm going through, I'm going to praise God for what He did for me. And I would love to tell you that I have got that mastered in my life. I do not. But I know this, it's the goal I'm heading for. It's the benchmark I'm, I'm striving for. And, and I, I've watched so many people in this church go through really, really, really hard times, go through really, really difficult things. I, I'm, I'm challenged with this every time I go and, and visit and spend time with Charlie Hightower where you could complain, but instead he's praising God for the sacrifices he gets to go and do in service for his Savior. That's what this praise, sacrifice of praise is. Then there's another one. It's a sacrifice of sharing yourself in message. Verse 16, Hebrews 13, 16. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. You know what this word communicate here means? It means partnership and participation. It's local church, friends. It's local church. It is partnership and participation. It means you giving of yourself, me giving of myself for you. You giving of yourself for me. We need each other. When I walk in these doors on a Sunday, or a Sunday night, or a Wednesday night, I am so much better off when I leave because of you. Because I see you allowing God to work in your life. I hear stories about you sharing the gospel with somebody else. I hear you praying for someone. I hear someone praying for you. This is a partnership and a participation of local church involvement. Now, if you don't know, you need to know, I have the cutest little granddaughter in the world. Her name is Lonnie. Well, her name is Leilani, but we call her Lonnie. Leilani is one in a few months, right? Right, Mal? How how many months? She'll be two. I should know this. Okay. (laughs) Here's what I do know. She's got a personality bigger than this room, and she's got a uh, uh, self-determination bigger than this room. She knows what she wants, and she's gonna tell you what she wants. So recently, I shared with her one of my cookies. Now, normally, I'm not really possessive about my cookies, but if you've ever had a Biscoff sandwich cookie with Biscoff cream on the inside, that's worth not sharing, okay? Okay. But being a good grandpa that I am, I'm going to share it with her. And she doesn't know a whole lot of words, but she tries to say what she wants. But one of the things that she can say is, open, please. Open, please, which usually involves some kind of food. This girl never stops eating. I hand her a sandwich cookie to which then she replies, open, please. Open, please. What is she doing? And then the next thing I know, her little cute little fingers are trying to peel that sandwich cookie apart. I'm like, who taught her this, right? So I get it apart, open please, right? I help her, I get it apart. You know what she does? The one with cream, she keeps. The one without cream, she gives to me. (laughs) This is what I mean by partnership and participation. Sometimes you're gonna get the raw end of the deal. But you know what? I had so much fun watching her at, at almost two Scrape off the frosting out of the middle of that cookie. I enjoyed watching her do that. I didn't mind sharing. I didn't mind the partnership that me and Lonnie had. But listen, in a local church setting, we need to serve one another. It's what God designed us as priests to do. It's what we're wired to do. It's where joy is found. It's where purpose is found. And listen, God wants to do great work in your life and in this church. And I know, I know it's easy sometimes, especially if you're newer to Quentin Road, you walk in, it's all established. It's all running smooth. They got staff to do everything. And, and you, you just, you just walk in and enjoy it. Can I tell you something? Get rid of that mindset. Every single person that's in this room and attends this church, God wants you to engage. God wants you to serve. God wants you to be making sacrifices. God wants you to be investing in someone else's life because he wants to do great things. Well, isn't he already doing great things? Yes, but he never, ever stays still. He always wants to do more. So what is he waiting for? Me and you. Me and you. I don't know. I have no idea who in this room God is going to call into some form of ministry or to some uh, uh place in, in the world as a missionary or to 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 encourage just the right person here on a Wednesday night. Well I don't know, but I know this. Every one of you are a priest, and we are to be investing. Forget not to communicate, to participate to get involved in each other's lives. Oh, but it gets better. Hebrews 4 says that we have access, new access to God. 14 and 16, seeing then that you have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which can be touched with the feelings, uh, have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Our high priest That is the go-between as we come into the throne knows what we're living through, knows what we face, knows the challenges of this world, knows it all, and never, ever fell into sin. Based on that, what do we do? Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. This is only given, these credentials are only given to a priest. Only a priest. You say, well, how do I earn that? How do I get that? Do I I gotta go to seminary? Does someone have to ordain me? Absolutely not. You see, as a pastor, I have the joy, the privilege of teaching the word of God, of, of, of showing the truths of God's word, but you don't need me for your access to God. You don't need anybody. You have full access to the throne of grace. Go there. Go there often. Find grace to help in the time of need and take the needs of others to that throne as well. We're gonna conclude with this, a new mission, a new mission. Look at 1 Peter chapter two and verse five. Here's the mission. He also, as lively stones, and this is a very interesting uh, description of us believers, but we'll explain. He also, as lively stones, are built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. You see, we're building something, or I should say God is building something with us and with our lives. How effective the building is depends on us allowing the new you to dominate because it's not gonna be through your power. It's not gonna be through, through, through your wisdom. It's gonna be through utilizing the gift and the privilege that God gave you, the new you, the new man, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are challenged faithfully challenged, rightfully challenged from our pastor, from Pastor Scudder. And you will hear him say things like, we don't wanna be a church that 20% of the people do you know, 80% of the work, and we're not, by the way. But you'll hear him challenge us in our giving and in uh, raising godly kids and having godly marriages uh, and, and, and being involved in church, right? Why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? So that, so that we can get more done in the day to day operations of a church? Absolutely not. Does, does that happen? Uh, are, are we able to, to have su- uh, successful events like a Christmas pageant or a tournament and all those things because people are involved? Yes. But, but, but that's, that's the, that's the, that's the side product. That, that's not the purpose. The purpose of our pastor coming to us and challenging us to live godly, to keep the pollution of the world out, to live above reproach in this world, to, to, to have good families and to, ha- and to raise godly kids. He's doing it because we're priests. We, 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 we were on a mission to, to, to utilize a gift a privilege and i love that pastor scudder challenges us because the challenge uh, the 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 volume of the challenge that he gives us matches the amazing privilege that we have in christ so when you hear him challenge you when you hear him say guys we need to step up we need to be involved in each other's lives we need to be serving god together it matches something and what it's matching is is the privilege and the calling that we have in christ as priests this is not a drudgery. It's not a duty. That's Ishmael. We're of promise. We're we're of Isaac. We're we're not doing all this work to get to heaven or to somehow make our Christian life work. We're using our privilege, the 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 the, the fellowship, the communion with God. It was broken in the Garden of Eden. And priest system after priest system tried to, to, to show how we have access to God. And then Jesus came and he died on the cross and he gave us eternal life and he made us priests. And we have access to the living God. And yet sometimes we walk back and forth in life and we forget, we forget what we have, we forget the privilege we have, we forget the, the goodness of the position that we have, we get stuck in all the circumstances and the garbage of this world, and I do it too. But we gotta look in the, in the mirror of Scripture and say, wait a minute, I'm a priest. I cannot let this privilege go by. I cannot let this. That's why I wanted to sing this song again, because listen, this is gonna be over. We're, we're, we're gonna be in heaven Forever. And the only things that are going to last is what we did as a priest for him. It's not about competition between believers. It's not about I'm more spiritual, I'm not. It's between you and God as a priest. Sacrifice, make sacrifices to him that are pleasing to him. Your new credentials were given for a very specific purpose. Allegorically, you are not of Ishmael. You were born again through the promise of grace. Don't live under legalism. Live like a royal priest because every single one of you that's born again is a priest and you have massive, massive potential for God. Now, if you're here this morning and, and you haven't trusted Christ as your savior, what do I, what I mean by that? Well, let me just give you a quick illustration. Now, first, I want you to look at this verse. John three sixteen, really starts it off properly. Because remember, we, we, we said that sin separated us from God. Sin, sin, sin created that, that chasm, right? But he loved us so much that he gave his son, and, and the access then is now available through belief. It says, whoever believes in him is not going to perish. You're going to have eternal life, okay? You got to get this settled before you understand how to serve him and, and use your priestly duties. But then it's, it's illustrated this way, and I, and I love this. It says, by grace you're saved Through faith and not of yourselves. So, so let me show it to you this way. This is sin. This is us. And, and I can't get rid of this. So I needed his grace. What was his grace? He sent his son, Jesus, who knew no sin. Jesus took on my sin and offers that to me as a gift. That's the only way it could happen. That's the only way it could happen. Jesus, who knew no sin, became my sin so that I could have eternal life. You say, how do I get that? Just receive the gift. Just believe. Just have faith that he's the only way. That's how you have eternal life. That's how you become a priest declared by God to get to serve him in a whole new way. No strings attached. Nobody can get in your way. And then spend eternity with him. What a joy.